everyone. This is Alan Schimmel for DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat. On DevOps Chat today, I'm really happy to be joined by Spencer Kimball. Spencer is CEO, co-founder of Cockroach Labs, hot company in the, in the DB and DevOps space. Spencer, welcome. Thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So, Spencer, um, let, let's get it out of the way first. I, I, I'm assuming most of our listeners have already heard of, of Cockroach Labs, but it's possible they haven't. Why don't you give us a little background? Well, sure. I mean, first, you should probably just get um, the obvious question out of the way. Why would we name something Cockroach? I think that'll become clear when I give you the explanation. But Cockroach Labs was founded to uh, build a database, and that database replicates and it's hard to kill. So that's where the name came from. And honestly, the name was invented before the product and long before it was a company. So it was, uh, you know, now I'm in a position of, of explaining that same thing to, uh, you know, Fortune 500 CIOs on a on a weekly basis. <laughs> There's some regret there, but the name makes sense. So I can give you a little bit of the background. Uh, all three co-founders of Cockroach Labs worked at Google for about 10 years in the, in the aughts. And Google went through, you know, Big Table, which started the NoSQL movement. They quickly moved to Megastore, which introduced some transactionality. Then they created Spanner, and Spanner has been something that Google's been working on for more than a decade now. When we left Google, we realized Spanner is a solution to many companies' problems, not just Google's. And that's become more and more true in the years since. We did a startup, and even at, as a startup, we wanted capabilities that uh, you know, Google had built into Spanner. And those weren't available in open source. So that's sort of where the original idea of Cockroach came from. That startup got acquired by Square, the payments processing company, and, and many other things now as well. And Square needed something like Spanner as well. So the idea kind of had, you know, gained currency. We started as a GitHub project. Um, that took off. VCs got interested. The company was started. Now, four and a half years later, we're busy selling to the global 2000, Fortune 500, big companies out there, as well as competing you know, on one side with Oracle and the other side with Amazon. Only, only in the internet, man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a crazy story, but true. So first of all, I absolutely get the cockroach thing because they are going to inherit the earth. Uh, you know, it's so, or so it seems, especially with the path we're heading, but let's not get into politics. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it is kind of an amazing story because when, you know, for people who are in the IT business and are somewhat familiar with the history of the database and how Larry Ellison came to be the second richest man in the world or whatever it is he is these days, you know, it, it's fascinating that all of everything we do online almost is predicated on the ability to store the data and to access that data in ways that allow us to do all of, you know, manipulate the data, analyze the data. I mean, without databases, none of that happens. And so when you look at the history of the database and then the, you know, to relational databases, and then you mentioned a few other things, NoSQL database or SQL databases, then NoSQL databases. And back to SQL. <laughs> right, and then back to SQL, then you've got timestamp databases or a thing now, you know, uh, all revolving around, though, how do we store this data in a way that's easy to put the data in there and easy for us to access that data, manipulate it, analyze it, you know, and, and, and make value out of it, right? And, and, and so, 
much like a cockroach, data data doesn't die either, right? It does. It, it, it's eating the world, and you know, I, where was I recently? I was shopping in Costco or something, and they had eight terabyte, eight terabyte, uh, I guess backup or drives, you know, external drives that were maybe a little bigger than credit cards, you know, size of a good iPhone, let's say, a little thicker. And I think, and you know, I think it was $169 for eight terabytes. And I'm thinking, my God, you know, when I had those floppy three and a half inch floppy disks, man, and the bigger ones. And the first 20 megabyte hard drive. That was yeah, I wouldn't, I didn't think there were eight terabytes in the whole world. But um, you weren't for a while, right? Yeah, it, it's crazy. And, and, you know, as our data has, as our data storage and data, needs have grown so so has our our uh databases so you mentioned the spinoff from google you mentioned you know certain things that the the, the latest greatest from google didn't do and and why and hence you know why cockroach but um recent you guys recently also announced a new funding round if i'm not mistaken right well right we're going to uh that will happen on august 6th well, by the time people are listening to this, it'll be August sixth already. So, gotcha. Okay. Well, so yes. if you're listening to this at home, it, it's after August sixth. They've announced their funding round. Yes, yeah, so we did close that, and it's a big round. And it basically, the additional money equals all the money we've raised in the past, which you know isn't so unusual, but it's a lot of money. In aggregate, we're talking over a hundred million dollars. Wow. Um, you know, I, I think to put that into perspective, you just have to look at who we're competing with. Right. I mean, certainly it's the, some of the biggest companies in the world, the biggest companies in the world. Um, and we're also serving the biggest companies in the world. So you do need that money both to uh, create a sales force that's capable of, of educating and reaching and selling to those companies, which all I, I, I've been humbled and amazed by the process necessary to actually sell to a, a Fortune 500 company. In some cases, it's quite involved. Um, but also to, to continue to iterate on the product. And we have to, you know, you just need to hire the best people and, and create an environment where they can collaborate to, to move the product forward so that you can compete. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, in, look, in the Internet and in the IT world today, compete, compete means different things to different people, right? We compete by offering great service. You know, I, I just got done. I was, I was over at DevOps Enterprise Summit in London a month or two ago, and there was this notion there of, of what, what folks were calling BVSSH, better value, sooner, safer, happier, right? And, and that's what we try to deliver in, in DevOps and stuff like that. So that there's competing on that, you know, in, 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 but then in the database world too, it's just really... Sometimes it's very, very, very feature-driven. Yeah. Right? And there's and, incremental features, and then um, there are uh, sort of generational features. And we're, we've been pushing on, on truly changing the nature of the database, and, and that is a, an opportunity that exists because of all the other things happening in the ecosystem. In mm -hmm. particular, the global public cloud, which is, I think, you know, one way to describe the combination of AWS and GCP and Alibaba Cloud and Azure and you know um, there, there's many others of course that are that are far more regional, but in aggregate all of those can be utilized uh, by new database architectures to allow a company 
to store data in new ways that mm -hmm. enable their business versus their competitors. So just to give you an example, uh, you know, things like GDPR uh, and recent regulations around privacy in Russia and China, Vietnam and South Korea, and, uh, South America, the list goes on. There's a, there's a lot of attention being played, uh, placed on how data is localized, where it's stored in relation to the customer, where it's processed. And, 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 and also, and this is, I think, really exciting, uh, there's an ability because of this global public cloud for new services to come online that are able to deliver an end-to-end -end user experience that happens instantaneously to the user. So another means in under 100 milliseconds, which is sort of the user threshold for uh, noticing a, a time interval. So you, something feels instantaneous if it happens in less than 100 milliseconds. You literally, because of physics and the speed of light, you can't do that for a customer in Australia if all your data is in one data center in Virginia. But that's the model that's prevalent right now. Um, sure. With a public cloud and with a solution like Cockroach, you're actually able to uh, have a globally spanning database that's able to domicile data near the customer and actually deliver both the assurance of some data privacy, that their data is being processed and stored close to them in their legal jurisdiction, but also to have an end-to-end -end user experience where you click a button on your mobile app, it goes all the way through the application logic, accesses the database, uh, comes all the way back and updates. So that, that ability to make that instantaneous, I think is going to open a new era of applications. Sure is. You know, so I, I remember Spencer back, so one of the companies during the dot-com days, one of the companies I helped build was a company called, became known inter, as Interliant, and we were an early ASP application service provider, but before we changed our name, we were Sage Networks, and we were a large hosting provider, a roll-up. We had bought a lot of different hosting companies. And, and one of the key things for us, like, you know, what really brought us scale versus all these smaller hosting companies we had bought is that all of these hosting companies' storage and the data was, was sort of part and parcel with the same infrastructure, if you will, that was hosting the website and the web server and all of that. And what we did is, you know, we actually, I don't want to say abstract because it wasn't really abstract, but we separated the data and the database from the web server and the applications they were running, right? And now that freed us up to store that data. This is before there was a cloud, but we had multiple data centers. So we were at the point almost where we could store data, let's say in our Atlanta data center and access it or use it on web sites that were the web servers were stored, let's say in uh, Tyson's Corner in Virginia at the time. And the, the, what was holding us back there was we didn't have the connectivity you had now. Yeah. Right. If you had a T3 line, that was hot stuff. <laughs> you know, that was carrier grade. And um, so it was a little different. But, you know, th this is the age we live in now where, where you know, you do have distributed applications. So, of course, why wouldn't you have distributed data storage and, and, and the databases that, you know, that organize them? Yeah, and fundamentally have distributed um, audiences, right? I mean, right. That, like every, every time a fledgling startup puts their first mobile app on the App Store, and the, the total global population that, that, you know, can have access to that, it's pretty staggering, right? The opportunity there is just tremendous. But 
you know, everyone's, you know, 90 some odd percent of uh, efforts out there are focused on deploying to a single availability zone, right? So this is, there's a, there's a, a legacy of how things were built, which is rapidly changing. And you have to do it through the whole stack in Cockroach Labs and Cockroach TV, we're, we're attacking a fundamental part of that stack, very important, probably one of the harder parts, which is you know, the data storage, the state behind those applications. Yep, no, no doubt about it. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Cockroach DB sort of as a project, if you will. Um, cloud native, right? Have, when you guys were starting out, obviously you came out of Google, you have a big open source kind of heritage at Google. What, you know, what were the discussions then about, is this something we open source? Is it something we make free? How do we walk that line, right? Well, but, I, so when I was at Google uh, from 2002 to 2012 uh, with my co-founders, Google was only starting to do open source towards the end of that tenure. Um, mm -hmm. Previously, they were pretty adamant about uh, keeping things closed source. Uh, it's just sort of the model that, that Google evolved with. Now they're much more open, and some of their uh, more recent efforts, you know, including TensorFlow and Kubernetes, are examples of where open source in the hands of Google actually is tremendous advantage both to the company and to the larger ecosystem. But things like Spanner were closed source, and many of the things that Spanner is built on are also closed source. But what Google did do, which is great, is they always publish about these things. Right. And when we started Cockroach, we had the benefit, well, not only of working at Google and seeing how these things were built. Uh, you know, Peter, one of my co-founders and myself, worked on something called Colossus, which is the exascale distributed file storage system at Google, which runs underneath Spanner. So we had a really, you know, a great opportunity to see why and how Google built the things that they've built. Uh, but, you know, once, once we were kind of kicked out of the Google Nest, or we left it, I guess is the better way to say it. Uh, yeah, we flew the coop, right? Uh, we had the benefit of all of the published work that Google had created around things like Spanner. Um, but, you know, out in the wider world, you realize for a database, in when we started this, I guess it was 2014. In 2014, and it's certainly true today, people aren't going to pay attention to your database unless it's open source. And it's just, it's, it's a sort of a fundamental requirement. And there have been databases that have tried as closed source software, uh, but they haven't gotten very far to my knowledge. So, uh, you know, I just think that, and this is true for me too, as a, as a potential user of the database, as a potential developer on the database, something that's not open source uh, feels a little bit um, icky, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like that there's not enough surface area that I can latch onto where I feel like I can be the master of my own fate. Right? Like if something goes wrong, and that's, that's what I hated about closed source products. Something goes wrong, it's just this big black box, and uh, you know it's sort of a black hole if you want to send a support ticket in, what's going to happen. Uh, whereas you know it would be much nicer for everyone involved, in my opinion, if I were able to dig down in there, find out what was wrong, probably my fault, but let's just say it's a bug in the product, I could send that into the company, and they could uh, you know take that as a patch. Th that's the beauty of open source, and uh, you know that you know as a personal preference and sort of even as an idealistic, uh, you know, sort of mindset, I, I would not have been able to start the database as anything except for open source. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and look, quite frankly, there's a, there's a bit of a history in the database space of, of successful open source databases that not only were successful as open source projects, but were equally or more successful as commercial entities or, or you know, or the companies that manage these open source projects, you know, very successful open uh, commercial entities that, you know, had great exits and you know great value for the, the investors and founders and employees so i mean I, I, you know in that regard it's not like you're pioneering right it's not like someone says oh they're crazy to do this in open source right though 15 years ago they might have said you were crazy right and and you know i think my sequel kind of uh you yep. know martin miklos plays the trail as they say and yeah. mongo is a very successful um, Absolutely, companies open source as well, and there's there's a number of other ones. But you know what? Even when we started this company in 2015, I think the open core model and open source in general seemed like the you know the the a catalyst, right? Just something that could create business value far more quickly than closed source software and the sort of procurement department and budgets and all this stuff that used to be involved in the cycle of adopting a new technology in order to build your you know products or services that you know the engineers or developers at a company needed to oh absolutely i mean look i i've been in it 30 years right i've seen the rise of open source i was involved in open source security stuff 2001 the deal is today for a lot of developers if it's not open so if it's not open they don't want to work on it yeah but you know, Go ahead. what's really fascinating is that 2015 might have been sort of the beginning of the end for open source being the true, the, the most important catalyst of business value. I would argue that in, in 2019, the true catalyst to business value, faster business value, business value in, in uh, sort of uh, relation to your competitors, I think it's services, right? Cloud-based services. That is, you know, it's always about, it's not about, you know, the idealism of open source. That's not why it was successful. No, I think we've passed the idealistic stage of open source. It's basically like, can you, how, what are the tools out there that a software engineer at company X can use in order to get their project done faster so that it's more stable, it's more performant, um, it costs less, right? All those things. Um, but it's their preference. And these developers and, and the and the ops and the DevOps folks, they're the they're the the top predator on the food chain in a lot of these companies. They're the hardest piece to of the puzzle. And so companies are hesitant to tell them, no, I don't want you to use that tool or I don't want you to use this service. And they're the ones making these choices where I think in years past it was like, oh, no, we, you can't bring that in here, or you can't use that one, or, or something like that. But it does do more, Spencer. Let me, let me tell you this. You know, I've been going to a bunch of the cloud native cons and cube cons and, and those kinds of shows, and I, I spend my life at IT conferences. I'm telling you that the open source community, and not because of the idealistic cathedral and the bizarre and free as in freedom and free as in beer crap, we're past that, you know, Dr. Stallman stage, if you will. It is the, that community is the energy driving almost everything we're seeing in IT today, right? There's such a energy in there 
that that it's driving what you're doing at Cockroach for sure. It's driving what we do in DevOps. It's driving what we see in cloud native and Kubernetes and all these things. It, it's where it, it's almost like this well of like a nuclear power plant or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It, and, you know, I, I think the, the best model right now that I'm aware of is, you know, it's called cloud-based services with a yep. very fast time to value, um, incremental pricing, right? So you kind of pay for what you use as you go. If you can deliver that with an open source product that's backing it, that people feel that they can get into, they could use if they had to move off that sort of freedom and flexibility, that sort of offers the best of all worlds. And I think, it, and that's why Amazon's been so successful um, in, in you know, adopting open source technologies because they're very good at providing things as a service and they have so many things all together into one, you know, that can be packaged into one bill, uh, one sort of, you know, monitoring platform, one identity and access, you know, management platform. It's, it's very impressive, but like that in aggregate creates so much value for business. It's crazy. We're, we're running low on time. So let us bring this back to Cockroach Labs. We seem to have, we seem to have taken off there on a tangent. You guys are offering a managed uh, version. That's right. So we have, we, many of our biggest customers, they want to run the database themselves. It's the way they've been running it. But, you know, over time that will, that will, that will shift, of course. Uh, so we have a self-service, self-hosted version. We buy subscription licenses if you want to pay us for it. There's also, of course, open the core, which you can use uh, for, for whatever purpose. Uh, then there's the managed service offering, which we're calling Cockroach Cloud. And that we run it for you. And we can run that on AWS or GCP. And the pricing model is much more like something like DynamoDB or Amazon Aurora or mm -hmm. MongoDB Atlas. Those are sort of similar kinds of offerings. Got it. Excellent, man. Um, just, again, Spencer, for people who may not be familiar, the, the website is cockroachlabs.com. That's right. So that's where people can go get more information there. Um, any other news that we didn't hit on here? Um, well, you know, I think maybe we didn't quite cover the funding well enough. I, I kind of jumped ahead, uh, but you know, it's it, we're raising you know more than fifty million, and the lead investor is Altimeter Capital, uh, great so sort of growth equity added along with Tiger Global, and then all of our existing investors, Google Ventures, GV is what they're called now, uh, Benchmark, uh, Firstmark, Redpoint, Index Ventures. So um, it's a it's a great An impressive list. Yeah, great group of investors, and um, you know, we're looking forward to sort of the this being an inflection point and really moving forward with you know, our, our penetration into the global two thousand, and uh, also you know fundamentally putting a lot of focus on uh, managed services, uh, so the, the cloud delivered cockroach experience, in addition to enabling um, more and more of this global architecture capability that that I was talking about earlier. Absolutely. I mean, it, it takes resources today to, to make all of that happen and bring, bring it all to market, obviously, and, and hiring good people. It's not, even with the money, it's not an easy thing to do, as, as I'm sure you're finding out. Um, finding good people. These guys have, like, I like what you said there, the sort of uh, the, the top of the food chain. The, yep. The alpha predator in the, in the, in the thing. It's, it's crazy. Um, vote for their feet right so it's you, yeah you know. they do i mean you they don't even ask for raises they just go get another job it's not i mean it's a crazy crazy 
paradynamic at play there, but it is what it is. Well, listen, this was uh, obviously we blew past our 15 minute time, uh, but it happens. It's all good. Um, I want to wish you success. I mean, just just a quick point. You know, there's a lot of people out here who are going to listen to this, Spencer, who say, yeah, I have a great idea for a company. We should go raise a few million bucks, seed capital, and, and we can do, you know, similar to what Cockroach is doing, and not necessarily in the DB perhaps, but, you know, in startup world. It's, it's not easy. $100 million is a lot of friggin' money for people to write checks to you for. And it doesn't come without tremendous responsibility and, and having raised a lot of money in my lifetime for venture-backed companies, I know what goes into it. So congratulations on a, on a successful run with this and um, looking forward to seeing what you do with it. I appreciate that, Alan. No problem. All right. Our guest was Spencer Kimball, CEO, co-founder of Cockroach Labs, makers of the uh, Cockroach DB. And this is Alan Schimmel for DevOps.com. You just listened to another DevOps fact.